Pray with me, please. Father, we come before you this, this evening, Lord, before this glorious book, and we're about to dive into a glorious text. Father, I pray that you would be proclaimed, that your son would be magnified, but most importantly, that our souls would be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wanna begin by taking a moment to thank the SBC for planting immigrant churches. I was saved through an English ministry of a immigrant Southern Baptist church, and I have the honor to serve now as one of the pastors at that very same church, First Chinese Baptist Church of Walnut. I love my church just like you pastors love your church. And the church is our greatest hope in times of hurting because the church is the visible body of Christ. The church points us, the church ought to point us to Christ the head. Now, those of you who serve and minister in immigrant churches, you could testify to this reality. The unity is always a challenge. It's a challenge because of the multiple language congregations or groups, various cultures that we are called to minister and lead. But I would say that in the past two and a half years, that this challenge of unity is not just reserved for immigrant churches. I think all of our churches have faced the challenge of unity. We all show up Sunday after Sunday, and there are members with different views on everything from the pandemic to politics, everything in between, you name it, which is why it's so important that during this conference, we come under the supremacy of Jesus Christ. I've been given the high honor to preach from Colossians 1, 15 to 20, where every single verse proclaims the absolute supremacy of Christ. In fact, many scholars believe that Colossians 1, 15 to 20, these six verses contain the lyrics to an early Christian hymn. I've entitled our message, The Supremacy of Christ Over All Things. I know that sounds like every other John Piper book, but it's not. <laughs> it's from Colossians, the supremacy of Christ over all things. In our passage, Paul upholds the supremacy of Christ against the Colossian heresy. There are variations to the Colossian heresy, but at its core, this heresy reeked of a Gnostic odor. There were Gnostic beliefs that all physical matter is evil. So that God had to divide up his fullness into various emanations, where Jesus Christ is just one of these emanations. It was a challenge of putting something next to Jesus and sometimes elevating things over Jesus. And so Paul writes to present the incarnate Christ as the Son of God, the Supreme One, against the false teaching there in Colossae. In our passage, there are two major points. Point number one tonight is Christ is supreme over his creation. We'll see that in verses 15 to 17. Then in verses 18 to 20, we will see that Christ is supreme over his new creation. So if you have God's word, meet me now in Colossians 1, where we see first Christ is supreme over creation. Paul writes this, starting in verse 15, and I'll read up until verse 17 for this first point. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, 
the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. We see the Christ is supreme over his creation and in verses 15 to 17, there are three reasons why. The first one is that Christ is the preeminent God. Christ is the preeminent God. Paul begins by declaring Christ is the image of the invisible God. Now pastors, you're familiar that the Greek word for image is icon. But when we understand this word in the English, icon, it does not do justice to what Paul wants to convey. Jesus Christ is so much more than a mere image of God. If you were to ask God, just like Jesus declared in John 14, we want to see God, we want to know God. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so what Paul is trying to say is that Christ is not only the full revelation of God, he is the sufficient revelation of an invisible God to us. Because we cannot see God, God is spirit. And we might say, isn't God inexhaustible? Aren't there so many questions we have about God and why he allows things that happen in this world, things that we don't have answers to? Yes. Paul never said that Jesus Christ is every single thing there is to know about God. What Paul is saying is that in the incarnate Christ, he is everything we as finite beings need to know about God. God, I want to know you. I want to see you know Jesus Christ in his incarnate being is everything that we need to know about God. And so that's what it means when he says Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He makes God clear to us and we have what Jesus teaches us about him laid out in 66 books in our scriptures. And so Christ is the all-sufficient revelation of God to man. He is the image of the invisible God. Then in verse 15, Paul continues by declaring the preeminence of Christ, preeminent meaning Christ surpasses all things in rank and culture, and we see this with the title firstborn, that he is the firstborn over all creation. In this context, firstborn is not talking about chronological birth order. This is talking about rank and supremacy. Psalm 89 verse 27 is where we see this title used. The psalmist writes of Jesus Christ that is to come, I will also make him my firstborn, greatest of the kings of the earth. This is Psalm 89, speaking of Christ to be the most exalted king on this earth. So contrary to what the heretics would teach about Christ, that he's simply an emanation of God, firstborn speaks of supreme preeminence and rank over all things that were ever created, all things that were ever breathed into existence. Then in verse 16, we see the second reason why Christ is supreme over his creation. So not only is it because he is the preeminent God, but he is supreme over his creation because he created all things. He is the creator of all things. All things have been created by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. All things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. You see, what Paul is doing is he's elevating Christ over every sphere in creation and every creature that comes under creation, including angels. Christ is definitely preeminent over the Anaheim angels. They are not doing well. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Southern California guy. I'm a Dodger fan. Just have to say that, I know. 
All things were created by Christ. He is the source of creation. All things were created through Christ. He's the agency of creation. All things are created for Christ. He is the end and the goal of all creation. So God created all things for the glory of Christ. John chapter one, verse one, echoes this teaching, teaching us that Jesus Christ was pre-existed. He existed with God from the beginning. And John 1, 3 gets really specific. John 1, 3 says, all things were created through Christ and that there was nothing created apart from Christ. So basically when God speaks creation into existence, he did so through the agency of Christ. Now what's encouraging for us pastors and leaders of the church is that when, when this text teaches us that Jesus is supreme and sovereign over all things, all things in heaven and all things in earth, this includes every single thing that has discouraged or divided the church in the past two and a half years. Everything that has caused you, pastor, sleepless nights and stress, all of that falls under the sovereignty and the supremacy of Christ. We have felt pressured. Pastor, I don't know about you, but I felt pressured to speak to everything under the sun. And I can't speak to all things. Like our brother Omar mentioned about the pandemic, I didn't get the memo from my seminary that my MDiv turned into an MD. I could not answer questions that are not contained in the scriptures, but that is not our task. Our task is not to have an answer for everything in this world. Our task, pastor, brother, is to study the text, the scriptures diligently, and to proclaim the text with clarity and to apply the scriptures with wisdom, pointing people to the ultimate wisdom of the scriptures, which is Jesus Christ. And then we sit down. We sit down in the pew, we sit down under the throne. We must remember, pastor, our greatest encouragement is that we stand in the pulpit, but Christ sits on the throne. And when we're done with our message, we sit down, but Christ is still reigning. He's the only one who can preach and speak to all things because all things were created by him, through him, and for him. And so it is not too little to point people to Christ because at the end of the day, all we have is Christ. We stand on the grace of Christ. We stand on the word of Christ. We point people to Christ. And that is such a great encouragement. And so the third thing that we see, so there are three reasons that Christ is supreme over his creation. The third is that he's the sustainer. He sustains all things. We see this, that once again, that he's preexistent. He is before all things in verse 17. And it says, by him, all things hold together. Jesus is the glue that holds all things together. He is sustaining all of creation. He sustains all things now as we speak. It makes complete sense that if all things were created through Christ, that that same agency of creation would be the means of how God the Father sustains the world through his son. The son is holding everything together. Pastor, these past few years, almost every Sunday, I feel like I have to hold it all together. I know theologically, just like you do, that that's not true. I know that Christ is holding all things together, but in my heart, or when I read my email Monday morning, I feel like I have to hold the church together. We know that's not the case. I feel like we're holding our marriages together, our families together, other people's marriages together. 
We're holding it all together. And the great encouragement here is that if he's sustaining his creation, aren't you and I part of his creation? Not only that, are we not part of his new creation? So not only is he holding us together physically on his sovereign timeline and ordinance, but is he not holding our faith in his hands? Our spiritual condition, our Lord is sustaining. And so we must, we must in our theology, but in our exercise of faith, we sing it from the bottom of our hearts and we believe it every Monday morning that Christ is sustaining all of creation and he's sustaining us, but we gotta get to the church. So in verses 15 and 17, we've seen that Christ is supreme over all of his creation. But now in verses 18 to 20, we see that Christ is supreme, not only over his old creation, but over the new creation. And he begins with the church. But let me read to you verses 18 and 20. Gloriously, Paul writes, he is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Complete preeminence. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, we saw three reasons why he is supreme over the old creation. Now we see three reasons why Christ is supreme over the new creation. And pastor, he begins with the church. He begins with his church. Why is that? The first reason is Christ is the head of the church. The church is the visible expression of the new creation. Why would Paul begin with the church? The new creation is where all of fallen humanity is reordered unto God through Christ. The new creation is where believers are reconciled to God through Christ. The new creation is where if you don't have Christ, sadly, you will be judged. The new creation is where everything that has fallen into disorder is placed back into order. And where do we see that today in this age? We're not in the age to come yet. Where do we see that? In the church. So when you look at Jesus and say, Jesus, this world is pretty messed up. I know there are problems in this church, in the church. Everyone knows that, but we have to believe that Jesus is sovereign over his church. He's sanctifying his church. He died for his bride. He died to secure the salvation of his bride. And so when he speaks here of the church, he speaks of the church universal in this context, of all of his redeemed people. And the church is the visible expression now of the new creation. How do you know the new creation is here? You look at the church, with the church with all our blemishes, all our imperfections, is still the bride of Christ. That is the church. Jesus loves his church, and Jesus doesn't cut the church off. He says, that's still my body. So if you want to say things about my body, that's still my body. And I still love the church, and he's the head. He's the life source. Now, we know the context here is the church universal. But we are here as messengers of local churches, are we not? We're Southern Baptists. We believe in the autonomy of local churches. And the local church applies here because any local church that does not have Jesus as the head is a dead church. Simply put, if Jesus is not the head, your church is dead. And that's a reality because Jesus is the life source. The, the head is the life source of the body. 
And that is encouraging. That is encouraging to us because Christ is still our head. And that is why the church that has Christ is not dead. Pastor, this sovereign declaration that Christ is head over his church must be a bomb to your weary soul and to my weary soul that Christ is supreme over anyone or anything, any agenda that seeks to divide or destroy the church. He is the life source. He will maintain the vitality and health of his church. Now, verse 18, we see the second reason why Christ is supreme over the new creation is because he is the source of the new creation. He's the source. The church began with him, and the church began with the resurrection of Christ. It says here, he is the beginning of the new creation. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. His resurrection was the beginning of the new creation, taking its mark on this earth. Now we know that Lazarus was raised from the dead, but Lazarus had to die again. Lazarus had to die again. Jesus was the first one who was resurrected and received an everlasting resurrection body. He's the first to resurrect. Then in verse 19, we see this glorious repetition once again of the teaching and the declaration that Christ is fully God. Notice in verse 19, it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So you have here, once again, the supremacy of the incarnate Christ who died on the cross for our sins, was risen from the dead, and God was pleased to look upon his son. All the fullness of God dwelled in him. This was once again against the Gnostics, the Gnostic belief that because, uh, because they saw sin and evil as connected to human matter and physical matter that they could not see that Jesus Christ as a man, 100% man, could be 100% God. But here it's declared that all the fullness, all the attributes, the glory, the power, the majesty, the holiness, the sovereignty of God is contained in Christ. A temple could not contain the infinite glory of God, but Christ could because Christ is God. That's Paul's point. Colossians Chapter 2, verse 9, the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And so the, Lord, so the God the Father is pleased. And then in verse 20, we see the third reason why Christ is supreme over his new creation. Not only because he's the head of the church and he is the source of the new creation, but we see here because he reconciles the new creation. He reconciles all things in the new creation. Notice verse 20, it tells us that Christ reconciles everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And this is why we see that the bigger picture here, the umbrella is the new creation and under the new creation is the church. But there's something that needs to be explained here. It says Christ reconciles everything to himself. What does it mean, everything? What does he mean by everything? Certainly he's not talking about people who don't have Christ, people who we pray for, People, if you're here tonight and you don't have Jesus, we want you to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, to repent of your sin and to come to Christ. So he's not talking about simply reconciling human beings. This is much bigger than just the church. He's saying everything on earth and in heaven. So again, this is the new creation. But when he gets to the cross in this verse, that's the church. And so once again, the church is the most visible expression of the new creation. 
It tells us how he reconciles all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So what does it mean to reconcile? We alluded this to this earlier, but under the new creation, everything will be reordered and reconciled back to God. Paul's thinking here along the same lines of the wonderful and glorious chapter of Romans chapter eight. In Romans chapter eight, 19 to 25, it talks about creation being subjected to futility, but the created order is patiently waiting for what? The redemption of our bodies. You see how the death and resurrection of Christ becomes the hinge which the new creation holds its foundation on. There is no new creation apart from the church. The creation, the created order is looking upon the church, waiting for the church to fully be resurrected. And so the new creation hinges back on the cross. And that's where we get to the gospel. That's where we get to the gospel in the second part of verse 20, where Paul goes beautifully, where he says, this is how reconciliation was made possible. He says, Jesus made peace through his blood. Why blood? Because death is the penalty for sin. Bloodshed was necessary through his blood. How was his blood shed? On the cross, on the cross of Christ. So Paul moves now from this broader umbrella of the new creation down specifically to his new creatures, you and I who have Jesus Christ. What a great encouragement, believers. Christ makes peace for us. Sin separated us, but peace was made. This teaches us what unites us, which is the substitutionary atonement of Christ. By making peace for us on the cross, he reconciled us to God, to the creator. But what we see here is the substitutionary atonement of Christ, that we deserve to be on that cross. It was supposed to be our blood, but Jesus took our place. And if we've been reconciled to God through the cross, then we can be reconciled, beloved, to one another. I know unity is an issue in the SBC. I'm not here to talk about that tonight. I'm in an immigrant church. We kind of deal with our own unity things. We're kind of on the fringes, reading and praying about, about the SBC as a whole. And we care, we wanna be involved. But what really unites us is the atonement of Christ. We all know we all have different sins. We all came from different backgrounds. We come from different churches. We come from different churches with different backgrounds, different size dynamics, different challenges. But what unites us is that we only have one solution to the problem of sin, and that's the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross. We only have one savior. We only have one atonement. There's no other atonement. There's no other cross. It's only the cross of Christ that unites us. And so our unity goes back to the substitutionary atonement of Christ. And that is why the cross is our highest proclamation. There is nothing higher. That is Jesus's throne here on earth. I know, we know that he's ascended into heaven, but the throne of Jesus Christ is his cross because from his cross flows blood. And every drop of blood contains the names of all of us who believe in him, all of you, and all the people who have yet to be saved. It's contained in the blood. He knew that his death would be effective. 
and it would be sufficient to cover all who would be saved, all who would come to him. And that's why we unite around him. He is our proclamation. He is the head of the church. He's the visible representation of the new creation right now. He's the source of the new creation, which began with his resurrection, and he reconciles all things. And he will reconcile differences in any denomination so as far as he is the head. And we proclaim him as the head. The big idea of the message, the main point tonight is simply this. It's from the passage, it's from the text, that Christ must be proclaimed as supreme over all things because he's preeminent over the old and the new creation. He must be proclaimed, Christ must be proclaimed as supreme, preeminent over all things because he is supreme and preeminent over the old and new creation. So despite our various opinions and considering the pressing issues we must tackle as Southern Baptist messengers this week, one thing is essential. We must remember whose name it is that we represent, who we proclaim, especially when it comes to matters of denominational integrity and accountability, this text gives us encouragement. It reminds us of not just what we represent as SBC messengers, we represent our churches, but this text reminds us of who we proclaim. Christ is our highest proclamation. We proclaim him to Christ be all the glory. Amen.